Well, church, let me invite you to open uh, the scriptures, the source of this truth, uh, uh, the, the document that portrays this truth, this threefold truth that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ uh, will come again. Let me invite you to open the scriptures to the New Testament letter of First Timothy as we begin a new uh, message series today. Certainly would encourage you, as always, to look at God's Word with me, whether on your own copy of the Scriptures or perhaps on a Bible app or a Pew Bible. And if you are using a Pew Bible, you can find uh, this text on page 960. But uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy uh, in the New Testament. Well, church, I think one of the most alarming uh, trends we read about in the New Testament is the frequency with which churches drift away from orthodox teaching or right teaching. Jesus must always be front and center in the church. Whenever a church minimizes Jesus or his cross, something else, I think, begins to shoulder too much significance. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter, and uh, he says the, the Jews demand a sign and uh, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for uh, Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. You know, sometimes this, this happens today in uh, more seeker-friendly churches that may reduce the offense of sin in order to gain popularity with the masses. Uh, but other times, uh, it happens in well-established churches that may emphasize stylistic or traditional practices over and above uh, love for Jesus. Still other times, uh, whole denominations seem to drift away uh, as they embrace cultural values that are antithetical to what God values and instructs. And still other times, we see it perhaps in smaller uh, churches, uh, sometimes rural churches, where uh, family power struggles may overshadow uh, their commitment to evangelize the lost with the good news of Jesus. See, the truth is that all types of churches are prone to drift from orthodox faith into some version of counterfeit Christianity. And if it happened to churches that learned directly from the apostles, as we'll see Uh, in the scriptures today, then it certainly could happen to us. The Apostle Paul knew this tendency. In fact, he had spent uh, quite a bit of time in Ephesus in the first century. He had spent uh, more than a couple years there instructing the believers in the faith, proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Uh, But before he departs, uh, he warns the leaders of that congregation, he warns the leaders of that church to guard against uh, false teaching or counterfeit Christianity. Listen to his warning. I don't have this Uh, On the screen this morning, but this comes from Acts uh, chapter 20, verses 28 and following. So hear what Paul says before he goes uh, to the leaders of the church. He says, keep watch, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or pastors or elders. He says, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Paul says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Paul 
preparing to leave after investing a great deal of his own life and ministry and time in Ephesus for the church and the growth of the, the establishment and growth of the church and spread of the gospel in, in Asia. He, he says, I'm, when I leave, I, I know that there are going to be some teachers who come in and try to drift uh, this church and believers here into false teaching. So leaders, be on your guard. Be on your guard. You think Paul believed that the truth matters? Paul believed the truth matters. But just a few years later, his prediction comes true. The Ephesian church church drifted uh, away from the truth. Uh, Paul hears about it. He gets word of it. And so he writes to Timothy, uh, urging him to stay in Ephesus and to confront this issue, to correct this problem. As a mentor and leader and apostle, uh, Paul calls upon uh, young pastor Timothy to straighten out the church there. And the content of that letter is known as 1 Timothy. And so we're going to look at it over the next several weeks uh, under the heading blueprints for a gospel-centered church. For this letter has much to say about church order uh, and practice. I was privileged yesterday evening to go see the movie, uh, Paul, the Apostle of Christ. Excellent movie, by the way. Go see this film. A moving uh, depiction of what life was like and, and could have certainly been like among the early church in Rome during difficult days. But in that movie, uh, the relationship between Paul uh, and Luke, uh, two great contributors to the New Testament, human contributors to the New Testament, uh, that relationship is depicted uh, throughout the film. And, and Paul is in prison. He's uh, in the final uh, days of his life. He's uh, uh, approaching his death. He's going to be executed for his, his faith in Christ under the uh, wicked emperor Nero. And, and Luke goes to Paul. He gets permission to go to Paul in, in prison. And he reports to him the difficult days that believers in Rome are experiencing. Um, talking about how many are persecuted and killed for their faith. And, and Paul says something in the film to the effect of, well, tell me some good news. Give me, give me some good news. And, and Luke, uh, there in the film, says to Paul something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, uh, the, the congregations in Ephesus and Crete are, are back on the right path. They're, they're teaching the, the right doctrine once again, thanks to Timothy and to Titus, a reference to two of of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Certainly, we don't, we don't know all the details and how this uh, played out, but we know from the book of Revelation that, that later there's uh, John, uh, the Lord speaking through John to the congregation at Ephesus, and they seem to be uh, back on the right path, at least when it comes to teaching. But let's look at this letter. It's a good letter. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Let's hear the Word of the Lord today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. 
Verse 8, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. Let's bow together. And Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this message uh, that you entrusted to your servants. We thank you for Paul and the apostles. We thank you for churches that have been established according to your word and and grown and, and flourished. We thank you for the message of the gospel being proclaimed throughout the world that we might know it and respond to it with faith in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the scriptures that you have now entrusted to your people. May we be faithful in reading them and proclaiming them, hearing them and responding to them as you lead us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The church may be seated. This morning, I've got uh, some cash here. Uh, I've got a $20 bill. Doesn't that look good? I mean, $20, not a whole lot of money, but, but you would like that. I'm sure you'd like it. It looks good. It looks, uh, looks quite nice. The only problem with this particular $20 bill is that this uh, will not buy you anything. It is not legit. Um, it looks legit from there. It feels uh, rather real and crisp, but, but it's not real. Uh, you don't have to report me to anybody. This actually came from uh, my daughter's uh, toy uh, cashier station. Um, so not worth a whole lot to me. In fact, if you took this, I, I would not be uh, too bothered by this. Uh, but it says some things uh, that, that indicate that it's not real. It looks quite real in the front and the back, but there's some words on there that are not on real uh, $20 bills, and there are some words that are on authentic $20 bills that are not on this particular bill. And, and this is similar, I think, to the situation concerning the gospel of Jesus at the church in Ephesus during the time in which Paul writes this letter to Timothy. There are some folks in the church that are teaching things uh, that don't quite line up with the central message of God's word. In fact, these are not simply folks from the outside. Paul says these are folks from the inside. These are some of the leaders of the church that have been sidetracked uh, by secondary and tertiary and perhaps even other issues that are counter to the central message of the scriptures. They're, they're proclaiming some things that they're not in the scriptures or not clearly taught in the scripture and they're ignoring some other central components Namely, the gospel of grace itself. And Paul writes here and gives this letter, he gives this instruction to Timothy, this letter that gives great insight and instruction for what a gospel-centered church should look like. And right away, church, I think we see that gospel-centered churches, which is what we want to be, cling to sincere faith and sound doctrine. Gospel-centered churches cling to sincere faith and sound doctrine, faith, a matter of belief and, and trust in the one and only God, the God of the scriptures, the one who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Faith, a, a matter of the heart, sincere faith. And sound doctrine, a, a matter, a matter of, of right teaching, right theology, right, right focus, a matter of the head. 
you know, I think it's rather clear here and certainly elsewhere in the scriptures that Paul thinks quite a bit of Timothy. He admires Timothy. In fact, from the book of Acts, we, we learn that the two had been on missionary uh, journeys together. They had a close friendship uh, together. Paul discipled Timothy. He believed in him. And he saw the Lord working in his life. Now they've become partners in, in ministry. I think one of the most encouraging things for ministry leaders or pastors is when they see former students or congregants who are serving the Lord in some capacity, whether it be a volunteer capacity in a local church or in some professional or vocational capacity elsewhere. We had an opportunity right here on Wednesday night to hear from one of our own, Zach Barton, who's a soon-to-be college graduate, who he and his fiance both have felt a call to serve the Lord in missions in another context. And what an encouragement it a joy it is to hear from our own who, who are now following Christ and, and serving Him in such capacity. You know, it's the same sort of thing, I think, with parents and, and children. If your son or your daughter grows up and values the things that you think he or she ought to value, then you are proud of him or her, aren't you? I think that's the sort of relationship that we read about here between Paul and, and, and Timothy. Paul is proud of Timothy. He believes that Christ has entrusted great ministry responsibility to him, but he knows, Paul knows, that it won't be easy. It's going to be a difficult task. He knows that he has some difficult instructions right here for young Timothy, and so Paul reminds Timothy of of Paul's credentials. He begins this letter, and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. You see, there's a level of accountability and authority portrayed in these words. Uh, Christ Jesus, the head, uh, the apostles who are charged with laying the foundation of the church. We see that elsewhere in the scriptures. And I think Paul is saying, oh, oh by the way, remember that, that I'm one of those. And then Timothy, my son in the faith. Reading between the lines just a bit. I, I can't help but think that Timothy may have been ready to move on. Things were tough in Ephesus. Perhaps he'd done his time there and a fresh start somewhere else. Somewhere else, Maybe another church was rather appealing. But through Paul, God says, no, stay. You have work to do there. There is unfinished work there. It's a reminder that most often... Long-term pastorates are a healthy thing for churches. Certainly this church has been privileged to experience that through my predecessor, Dr. Ron Summers. I remember when I first came and was talking with the staff and leadership here about potentially coming to Meadowbrook as Minister of Students. I asked Brother Ron and I asked James, who'd both been here for quite some time, at the th- what has kept you here so long? I knew that that's not, that's not the norm most places. That's a healthy thing. You see, because when, uh, when, uh, when, when the newness wears off and the relationship stays intact, when the newness wears off and marriage stays intact, relationships become vulnerable. There's a level of intimacy and depth and honesty and growth that could not otherwise happen. In church settings, this often suggests a commitment on, behalf, on the part of the leadership to the people, the growth of the people, and, and likewise a commitment from the people to be led by the pastors. And so here's Timothy. 
80s, 60s, 1st century, in the midst of church problems, a mess, really, being told to stay. And more specifically, he's, he's told to stay because some of the leaders in the church are teaching things that are inconsistent with God's truth. Their false teaching is threatening to produce a counterfeit Christianity, a counterfeit faith, uh, a faith that's slightly off. Slightly off is it's quite a bit off when it comes to the faith among the people. And every effort must be made to straighten this ship. The church cannot tolerate false teaching in her midst. According to the scriptures, the church cannot tolerate false teaching in her midst. Despite the emphasis on subjective truth in our day, truth is concrete truth is substantive it matters and it matters in the church for the church rests upon the confession that jesus christ is lord that he is messiah that he is the way and the truth and the life that there is no other name given to men by which we can be saved and the moment that a church shies away from this claim the moment that a church shies away from the message of the gospel of god's grace of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, it ceases to be fulfilling the functions that God intends for it. And yet this drifting from the gospel happens often. Not just in our day, but but even in that early day. In fact, Jude, who writes a short letter that finds its way into the New Testament under the guidance and inspiration and work of the Holy Spirit, says, this is why I'm writing Jude, believed to be the half-brother of Jesus, he, he says in the opening of that short letter, he says, I wanted to write to you believers to talk about the salvation that we share, but, but then I felt compelled. I had to write to you to contend for the one true faith because there are some, some people who have come in and are trying to spin the truth in a different direction. Like elsewhere, Paul says to the churches in Galatia, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am astonished. I am astonished, believers, that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of of Christ. See, New Testament letters like these are situational, meaning they were written to particular people at a particular point in time to address particular issues. But time and time again, those issues include drifting from the foundational truth of the gospel. The church cannot tolerate false teaching in her midst because it distracts from God's work. It distracts from God's work. In fact, salvation is God's work. Paul writes to Timothy, verse 3, he says, Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. You know, I, I dare say that anytime anyone, anyone, be it a preacher or a song leader or a soloist or a participant or anything, be it a style or tradition or or building or some other component of what we do in our gatherings begins to receive greater emphasis or celebration than God in the church, then we have drifted into sin and we need to repent. 
Friends, we exist as a church and we gather as a church week after week to exalt Jesus and to celebrate his work. Brothers and sisters, this is why our mission statement as a church begins. Meadowbrook Baptist Church exists to glorify God. We want to glorify him. We want to be about his business. And the moment that we began to become about our business and forget his business, then we are in error and we need to turn back to him. For he saves, he sustains, he shapes, and he will one day gather men and women, boys and girls from every nation, tribe, people, and language around the globe who do not deserve him to enjoy him forever and ever. See, the church at Ephesus had drifted from a focus on glorifying this God. It drifted from a focus on exalting him and toward myths and speculations about the scriptures. In other words, over-spiritualized or speculative teachings from portions of the Old Testament rather than focusing on the plain meaning of the text, Christ and Christ crucified. See, modern-day examples of this would be things like the Bible Code, popular in the late 1990s that claimed to be a hidden code discovered by an Israeli mathematician in the original language of the Scriptures. Or perhaps the most well-known would be the Book of Mormon, a companion to the Bible, right? And what is meant by that is a lens, a necessary lens in order to rightly understand the Scriptures. Friends, such false teaching distracts from God's work, which is the by faith gospel of Jesus Christ. And it destroys fellowship in the church. It destroys fellowship. These are human attempts at novel interpretation, and those who buy in become the elite, while those who don't are seen as simple, perhaps even unspiritual. Verse 4, such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Verse 6, some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. You know, it sounds a lot like much of the major news shows today, right? A bunch of talking heads with little interest and actually talking about the issues. Now, this is not always the case, but we know this is often the case. We'd, we'd rather, there's something, you know, we'd rather just scream at uh, the enemy. Those who believe differently than us, consider them simple-minded and unable to see what, what we see. Controversial speculations and meaningless talk. The scripture says there's no room for it in the church. This is not what we're about. The message and ministry of Christ's church should produce love, the kind of love Jesus commended when he responded to questions about the greatest commandment. The Bible teaches here that the message of the church must be a message that helps facilitate and foster love for God and love for one another. And if it isn't that type of message, I think the scriptures are saying it's wrong. Church, this is why our standard practice here at Meadowbrook is systematic and sequential studies through books of the Bible. Certainly this is not always the case. But most often this is, this is what 
What we do, we take a book of the Bible or an extended portion of the Bible. We're going to walk through it. We're going to hear what the Lord has to say. Each week is not a new opportunity for me to ask, ask myself, what do I want to address today? What do I want to talk about today? If it was, I, I think perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that I could come up with some pretty interesting stuff. Well, that, that doesn't really matter. Next week might be an opportunity. Pencil in, hey, let's talk about the latest uh, trends in movies and entertainment. Maybe the following week we'll talk about the gun control uh, debate. Be rather interesting, no doubt. Uh, maybe then we'd look at a presentation about uh, how to get rich or how to establish and, and keep new friends. We just have a good old time together. That's not what we're about. That's not what the church is about. That's not what we're to be about. Sure, the truths of the Bible speak into these things. We ought to hear the truth of the Bible when it comes to these things, but we'll never know how until we humbly listen for God to speak through His Word. And we'll never recognize the garbage that we're sometimes fed if we don't know what's in His Word. So, believers, let's practice regular Bible reading. Let's practice regular Bible reading. Certainly when we gather here, when we come together, but not just here, in our homes as well. Read the Word of God so that you know what it says. Read the Word so you know the living God who gives it to us. For some of you, perhaps this means embarking on a daily Bible reading plan if you don't have one already. Brothers, maybe listening to an audio version of the Scriptures as you pass bukus of time creeping down Highway 280 on your commute. This is why I ask you to open the Scriptures. Look with me at God's Word. Stand as we read the Word of the, of the Lord because I, I want us to pay attention to Him. I, I want all of us, myself, I want us to hear from Him. His Word must be central in our gatherings. The church must rightly teach God's Word. We must rightly teach God's Word. And we must remember that it is His Word. It is God's Word. So here, after Paul uh, instructs Timothy to stay in Ephesus and command for, uh, false teachers to cease and desist, he provides a sidebar of sorts. A little commentary here on uh, the purpose of the law, meaning the instructions that God gives to His people through Moses. This is rather typical of Paul to write this way. He'll be writing something, and uh, one thought will trigger another thought, and he'll He'll deal with that other thought and then he'll come back to what he said beforehand. Verse 7, he's speaking of these false teachers. He says they want to be teachers of the law. I think that triggers them thoughts about the law and the purpose of the law and begins to address that. So we have comments here, verses 8 through 11, about the good use, the right use of the law of God. Probably implying that the false teachers didn't use it the right way. They didn't teach it the right way. But in the context, I think the greater point is about rightly teaching God's word. The church must rightly teach God's Word. This is why when we uh, do baby dedications here from, from time to time, certainly we call upon parents to, to make a commitment. That's what they're doing. They're making a commitment to, to raise a child in the ways and instruction of the Lord so that they may know and follow Christ. But it's not just for them. It's for the church as well. You make a commitment on those occasions as well. And you're asked on, on those occasions uh, if... If you promise to continue teaching the Bible in this church so that our children will never lack hearing the truth of God's Word. 
church rightly teaching and responding to the word of God is far more important, believers, than anything else we could discuss. It is far more important and central than than politics or sports or, or policy or anything else that may occupy us for the word of God confronts sinners. The word confronts sinners. And if we don't see our sin, we will never see our need for Jesus or to be about Jesus and proclaiming him. One of the purposes of the scriptures and one of the specific purposes of God's law is to expose human sin, to expose human error, our failures to live up to God's holy standard. And we see that right here in this list, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. And of course, this list of sins, these are sins that were sins in that day, still sins today, by the way. But this is not an exhaustive list. The list goes on and on. Interestingly, the list here corresponds um, closely to several of the Ten Commandments, by the way. The Word of God confronts sinners. For the Word of God is alive and active. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Friends, if that is true, if the Bible is alive in that way, if the Scriptures work to that end, then when we read the Bible or we hear it taught, we should expect correction. We should expect to be corrected. It doesn't matter where we are in our faith journey. It doesn't matter if we're wrestling with the Christian faith and what it means to know and follow Christ or or we've been walking with Christ for many years. The Word of God to us. It confronts us. It corrects us. For all Scripture, all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I think those who know the love of God even though it's difficult sometimes to come to grips with it, I think those who know the love of God want to know. We want to know when we are in error so we can return to Him and enjoy His fellowship again. For we were made to know and enjoy Him. The Word confronts sinners, but it doesn't leave us there. Thank the Lord. The Word confronts sinners, and the same Word reveals God's grace to us. The Word reveals God's grace. His grace. Paul states that the word of God exposes, verse 10, whatever is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel. I think what's being said there is that all sound doctrine, all right teaching must conform to the gospel. For the gospel, the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus is the central message of Scripture. All other teaching, all other words of the Bible are important, certainly, but they contribute to this. They, they must conform to this particular message. It conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which He entrusted to me. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that the message of the Bible is a message of gospel and grace for sinners? For undeserving sinners, sinners like you and like me and like every other man, woman, boy or girl to walk this earth with the exception of the one sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
This is the message of, of grace portrayed in the opening words of the letter. Paul says, God, our Savior, is our Savior. Christ Jesus, our hope. It's a message of hope. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, the word exposes our sinfulness before the holy God, but the same word speaks of the death the depth of God's love for his creatures, God's love for us so much so that he rescues us by the blood of Jesus. He looks upon us with his mercy and he invites us to receive forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And friends, this is why we, we preach the cross. This is why we focus on the cross substitutionary and sacrificial death of Jesus in our place and his triumphant resurrection from the dead, not only on Easter Sunday, but all year long, for this is the central confession of our faith, that through Jesus, God gives us a clean slate. He gives us a restored relationship, everlasting life, knowledge of him. This is the gospel, friends, that we must stake our lives upon and contend for and proclaim in the church and to the ends of the earth. Gospel-centered churches cling to sincere faith and sound doctrine, the kind of faith and doctrine that exalts Jesus. So may we exalt Jesus in everything. Brothers and sisters, those who know Jesus, even those who may not know Jesus, who are wrestling with who Jesus is and who he calls you to be, let's be people who recognize that he is sovereign, that he is supreme, that he is Lord, that he is king. Let's exalt him in everything, for we are about him. May each follower of Jesus here and the church as a whole confidently, may we confidently and courageously join with Paul and other believers and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 6. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Let's exalt Jesus. Let's be about him. Father, we pray that that would be true in our lives. Lord, that we would serve you. That we would rest on the sure promises of your word. Promises of salvation and life and forgiveness of sins for those who repent and trust in in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word that speaks truth and life to us. We thank you for your word that is inexhaustible. We thank you for your spirit that resides in us and who guides us in the truth. Father, correct us where we're wrong. Confront us in our sin so that we might confess our sin and return to joyful fellowship with you. Well, we know that you are good and that your love endures forever. May we walk in it today and always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.